and welcome to another episode of Positively Pro-Life Podcast. Positively Pro-Life is brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation and aims to bring you inspirational stories and conversation, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we seek to restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm your host, Ramil Tenney, the Education Director at the Federation, and as usual, I have our Legislative Director, Maria Gallagher, joining me as co-host. Welcome, Maria, to the show. Thank you so much, Remel. It's great to be with you today. Always great to co-host with you. So Roe is overturned. Um, we cannot say enough of it. Um, the legacy of destruction that it left in its almost 50 years of reign is massive, but not insurmountable. As we move forward to creating a world without abortions, it would be wise to look back and see how this decision came to be who were involved in making abortion the law of the land and what motivations they had. And we can also learn from these 50 years of having Roe. Our guest today, Clark Forsyth, has explored this in depth in his remarkable book, Abuse of Discretion, The Inside Story of Roe v. Wade. As always, before we go into our interview, here's Maria with a legislative update for the week. Thank you so much, Remel. The following is from a news release from National Right to Life. 33 years ago, President George H.W. Bush signed the groundbreaking Americans with Disabilities Act. At the signing, President Bush stated, with today's signing of the landmark Americans with Disabilities Act, every man, woman, and child with a disability can now pass through once closed doors into a bright new era of equality, independence, and freedom. The following statement can be attributed to Carol DeBias of National Right to Life. We commemorate the 33rd anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act being signed into law by then President George H.W. Bush. We also celebrate the hard work of the late Senator Robert Dole, a Republican from Kansas, for his diligent efforts to protect and bring visibility to persons with disabilities. The Americans with Disabilities Act was a milestone in protecting the right to life of Americans with disabilities. Every person from the unborn child to the elderly has the same right to life as any other human being and should be free from those who would advocate for their deaths from assisted suicide or euthanasia. This is especially true for persons with disabilities even today, 33 years after the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Remo. Thank you so much for that update, Mario. Our guest today, Clark Forsyth, is senior counsel at Americans United for Life and the author of Abuse of Discretion, the inside story of Roe v. Wade, which was cited by the Supreme Court in its majority opinion in the Dobbs decision, which overruled Roe v. Wade as well as Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Clark has worked at AUL for 38 years and in that time has been co-counsel for parties in three US Supreme Court cases and has argued cases before federal and state appellate courts. He has also testified before Congress and state legislatures. Clark has authored or co-authored over 20 professional legal articles on constitutional and bioethical issues he is a prolific writer and his articles have been published in some of the top newspapers and magazines like the Wall Street Journal, 
Newsweek, The Los Angeles Times, Public Discourse, The Washington Times, The Federalist, and The Hill. Now, I was privileged to listen to a talk given by Clark um, at a conference recently, and uh, I'm so happy that you're able to join us. Uh, welcome to the show, Clark. Thanks, Rimmel. Thanks, Maria, for having me. Yeah, so um, your book, uh, it's, it's, it's so good that um, your book was one of, uh, was quoted um, while overruling Roe. And so could you tell us, um, your book explores how Roe came to be law. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure, um, I'm, I was glad I had the opportunity to, to write Abuse of Discretion. Um, because I think it's one of the most important books written about Roe since Roe, uh, because um, I, I look at the personal papers of the justices who voted in that decision. And the book tells a completely different history than Americans have ever heard before. It, it basically, uh, abuse of discretion shows that the Roe decision was no more arbitrary and capricious than we'd even, we'd even understood before. Um, so, uh, it, it, the book would help Americans to understand how bad Roe was and how right the court was in Dobbs to overturn Roe. Uh, the justices in Roe um, ignored a, a lot of precedent and procedure and evidence to basically manufacture a way to sweep away the abortion laws Um you know, in the early 1970s, and um, um, that it the book the book shows that um, the that the justices were very result oriented. Uh, they wanted to sweep away the abortion laws, and they had to find a way to do it. And uh, they they wrote the decision to justify uh, um, you know conclusions that they'd already reached. They were influenced by the sexual revolution in the 1960s. They were influenced by the so-called population crisis in the late 1960s and thought that legalizing, at least some thought that legalizing abortion would, um, would help to stem or turn around the so-called population crisis. So it, it, uh, it was a bad decision from beginning to end. What has been the biggest way Roe has failed our nation? Well, there are a, a number, but I think the biggest is, frankly, that for 50 years, the court, through Roe, told our nation and all of our fellow citizens a false history of, uh, uh, of, of how America had not protected the prenatal human being from the earliest, uh, earliest uh, stages. And so what Dobbs did is it gave us back our legal and cultural history going back centuries. Dobbs finally gave us a true history, a true history that showed that Anglo-American law and Anglo-American medicine had sought to protect the prenatal human being at its earliest stages, um, uh, notwithstanding the, you know, the limitations of primitive medicine three or 400 years ago. So um, Roe gave us a 40, 50 years of a false history, told the nation falsehoods, and Dobbs restored our legal and cultural heritage. Yeah, so they say that law is a teacher, 
And I think sometimes bad law can be good teachers uh, because there's so much that we can learn from it. So what has 50 years of Roe taught us? Well, it's uh, taught us how powerful in some ways the Supreme Court is um, and how concentration of power um, can be used in, in a very bad way. Um, uh, it, um, I think it, it, it showed us that it, it's better for the abortion issue to be sent back to the states. Um, uh, it, um, it, it also told, uh, taught us the, the need for perseverance in any social reform movement. Um, uh, it's it's just remarkable that pro-life Americans and pro-life organizations and leaders persevered for 50 years against all odds in, and in the face of overwhelming opposition in some ways. Uh, so it, you know, we, 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 we succeeded after and because we persevered for 50 years. Uh, and uh, that should give us great confidence and great encouragement about securing the right to life over the next two or three decades. I think some people were under the false impression that when Roe was overturned, then everything would be righted. And that's not necessarily the case. So can you give me a glimpse as, as to how we should pursue the pro-life issue going forward? Well, in Dobbs, the court in June of, of last year, 2022, decisively sent the issue back to the American people. Uh, the court showed that it was basically re releasing authority, decentralizing authority, and sending the issue back to the American people. So we have to persevere with politics, persevere with democratic action, persevere with mobilizing people and growing organizations like the Federation in Pennsylvania, uh, because the movement, uh, I, I think, ha has um, progressed or regressed based on the strengths of organizations. And so in each state, uh, there need to be strong pro-life organizations. There need to be, there need to be strong pregnancy resource centers to help mobilize people, uh, help get them out to vote, um, help them to know what's happening in the courts and legislatures in the states because for so many years americans thought about the abortion issue that well that's up you know that's up to the judges the judges will decide that the judges always decide it um but that's no longer true at all what what's decided in harrisburg is is going to be the law in in pennsylvania um uh, and um, and so we need to be mobilized, active, and focused. Yes, now that um, now that this issue has come back to the states, and, and we have the political movement in action on both sides of this debate and this this issue, um, what are your thoughts on the polarizing nature of political particle and parties, especially when it comes to life issues? I think we see 
um, people on both sides in, in both the parties have, are, have opinions on other issues, but when it comes to life issues, they seem to be polarized and, and you know, in their own camps. We see fewer dialogues. So um, what, is, what are your thoughts on that? First of all, I, I somewhat doubt the, whether, in fact, the public is truly polarized. Activists might be polarized. The parties might be polarized. But I, I don't think that Gallup data going back to the 1970s shows a polarized uh, America, a polarized population. In fact, I think there's a large majority in the middle of 60 or 70 percent. And I think we now have to, the burden is on us to appeal to the middle uh, and bring them over to the to the pro-life side. And the fact that the court relinquished power and sent it back to the states opens the door, I think, for us to uh, appeal to the middle and persuade them that life must be protected and that uh, the uh, prenatal uh, entity is a human being and that we must must protect life because if if prenatal human beings aren't protected, it will have implications for the protection of all life, uh, the, the chronically and terminally ill, the vulnerable at all stages of life. So it's an opportunity and we should look at look at it as an opportunity and we we will need to persevere. We will uh, have to get our democratic pants on and um, uh, seek to persuade our fellow Americans. We often hear the phrase, my body, my choice, bandied about by the other side. But to what extent is coercion an issue in abortion? It's a, it's a big issue. It's a big part of abortion. And we, I think, have an opportunity after Dobbs, and there's a real need to help Americans understand that a majority of abortions are, in fact, coerced. I mean, I mean there are, there's individual testimony going back decades. There are surveys and polling data going back decades that shows that uh, in, in any particular survey, the, the coercion can might range from 30% of, of women in the survey to 70%. I've seen, a, a, there was a study, a survey published in 2023 uh, showing 70% of the survey respondents um, testified that, that their abortion was shaped by pressure, coercion, abandonment, force. And uh, I, I think it, it is an opportunity for us to help Americans understand this because you said, uh, you know, that the abortions marketed as autonomy. Um, but in reality, uh, coercion plays a role in a majority of abortions. And so it's an opportunity, I think, for, for, to, uh, for us to just turn the debate completely around and help Americans understand the reality of abortion. So going back to the federal government right now, um, does the federal government have a role now that abortion has become a state issue? Is there, or is there anything that the federal government can do to advance the pro-life cause? There is, um, but 
As you know, uh, and as we've seen over the past year, the Biden administration has been using the federal government to try to shut down the states and pro-life activity in the states, to mm -hmm. use federal statutes to um, uh, basically override federalism. And so the, the the federal government can be used as you know a, a two a two-edged sword. Um, the federal government, at the very least, we want the federal government to get out of funding abortion or abortion advocacy organizations. At the very least, uh, we don't want federal tax dollars to be used for abortion or for abortion advocacy organizations. Um, and there, there are things that the federal government can do, but uh, you know the concern has been since basically the 1990s, uh, the since the Clinton administration that if the federal government, if the presidency, if the 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 federal agencies, the cabinet agencies flip-flop every four or eight years from a pro-life president to a pro-abortion president, the pro-abortion president um, can can attempt to use the federal agencies to coerce individual Americans or to shut down um, pro-life organizations or to shut down federalism. And um, so we have to be wise about the proper role for the federal government and um, preventing the federal government uh, from dictating a pro-life ideology to every American and to every state and every pro-life organization. I've seen a great deal of polling data showing that the vast majority of Americans oppose taxpayer funding of abortion. How can people best prevent that tax-funded abortion? Well, I think there are a number of things we can do. Um, first of all, we have to vote because taxpayer funding, whether it's at the federal level or at the state, is voted on by the people we elect, either members of Congress, members of the House, members of the Senate, the president, um, or in the states by the governors, um, state senators, state state uh, representatives. Um, so taxpayer funding is caused by government, voted on by government uh, elected officials. And so first and foremost, we have to vote. Um, Secondly, uh, we need to simply show up. Um, and by that, I mean, we need to um, be uh, participate in uh, opportunities in state capitals to lobby our elected representatives. Uh, but we also need to, sh uh, to support organizations that are there on the front lines. I mean, if I can't as an individual show up at my state capital, I can fund an organization that does. Um, I can pray for them and those who are on the front lines in the state capitals. Um, or um, I can um, just support uh, others who can show up. And so um, there, there's a lot we can do. And um, besides voting, I think it's showing up and supporting the organizations that are gonna be there on the front lines. Yes, and um, I really love the title of your book, um, The Abuse of Discretion. That's such a great title uh, about what happened during Roe. And we see that parts of, of that abuse is still happening 
you know, all around us in, uh, in, the, in politics, in law. And so um, what are your thoughts about, about um, calling out abuse? Like, how can we do that as a public? Because a lot of times we're shut down um, for calling out something that we see. So um, any advice, any thoughts? Well, I think we need to be act, active, activated, mobilized. Um, we we need to support organizations uh, at the state or federal level that are calling out officials, especially pro-abortion officials. Um, uh, and uh, you know, we can do that individually if we uh, you know publish an op-ed in our our, our local or state newspaper, but. Um, there are organizations like the Federation in, in Pennsylvania, but also uh, you know, national organizations who are there on the front lines, who are um, mobilizing people, who are mobilizing voters uh, to call out public officials who are, are pro-abortion and don't support life. And um, so we need to be mobilized. I think we also need to simply persevere because I think that the Dobbs decisions showed to my mind, absolutely decisively, that the court was sending the abortion issue back to the states uh, and to the American people and their elected representatives. So who we elect now is more important than ever. And um, uh, Dobbs didn't, you know, couldn't er completely erase the legacy of Roe versus Wade. And that will take time. It will take cultural and social and political and legal efforts over the next couple of decades. And, and so we must persevere and we must be actively involved in democratic action. And we must, I think, have a sensitive heart in reaching out to persuade our neighbors and our fellow Americans uh, why uh, they need to support life. We've got about five minutes left, and I'm wondering, I'm just curious, do you recall where you were when you found out that Roe versus Wade had been overturned? Uh, yes, I I, uh, I think I'll always remember that. I was actually scheduled. Um, of course, as as you know, we heard about the leaked opinion on, on May 2 of uh, 2022, and um, that was an exciting moment because um, it 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 finally seemed possible that it could become a reality, and and you know for the next like three weeks we were on tender hooks, um, you know wondering if the five uh, justices who joined the leaked opinion were going to hold fast, and um, and and hopefully even there would be a sixth justice to join, but um, on on the morning of um, I think it was Friday June twenty fourth I was scheduled to give a workshop on protecting rights of conscience at Trinity International University in, in the Chicago in the Chicagoland area. And uh, I, I showed up early for the workshop because I was thinking the decision might very well come down came come down. So I was holed up in a in a, in a little uh, um, kind of a study hall study room uh, with my laptop on um, uh, about an hour before the or a half an hour before the workshop opened. Uh, waiting to hear uh, for the release of the decision, and it finally came through. And I got, I, I got only a snippet of of the 
of the actual result that Roe was gone. And I had a runoff to give my workshop on uh, protecting rights of conscience, but it was obviously a, a, a wonderful day that I'll always remember. Yes, and I think you have so much to be proud of because uh, they used your book, they, they cited your book in, uh, in it was an integral part also in, in overturning Roe. And um, you said that this was, this is, it's definitely a victory for us, but it didn't give us the full victory. So um, my question is, can we, can we hope that abortion will be settled law in the coming decades? Yes. Uh, and the best way for us to settle abortion law is um, state by state um, building 38 pro-life states. If we want a constitutional amendment on life, if we need a constitutional amendment on life, we're going to have to have 38 pro-life states to support uh, a constitutional amendment if, if that's needed. Um, but um, um, we, we'll have to persevere in that. And, and that has to be a, a specific goal of ours. But if we if we can build thirty eight pro life states, um, we that will serve to settle at least the abortion issue. There are lots of other bioethical and life issues besides abortion, but that will serve to settle the abortion issue more than just having five judges justices in Washington D.C. pronouncing a, a pro life opinion. Um, that will show real momentum, real change, real um, strength across the states. And that will be stronger than, I think, any any Supreme Court decision. And we have to look um, at that long-term perspective. Uh, we need to persevere. And, and we need to realize um, that that goal of 38 states will really give us great strength for a long time. It's very encouraging. And I, I think that uh, people need to hear that right now because we hear so much in the news media about the life issue um, and it can be very negative, but I think that uh, we need to, as you said, persevere and keep working and keep striving. And we can achieve that culture of life that we're looking for. I think that's absolutely right. Uh, and, and we have to appreciate um, small victories and, and we have to appreciate the progress that has been made. I have a, I keep a kind of a log of the number of states with early gestational limits on abortion since the Dobbs decision. And one of the most important things that happened uh, on the day of the Dobbs decision and in the weeks after was that pro-life officials in in a number of states stood up and said, we're gonna enforce our abortion limits. And there are and now- that, that was very encouraging and we're gonna to have to end it there. We've run out of time. Thank you so very much, Clark Forsyth of Americans United for Life. Thank you very much. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life. <laughs>